1: This Sunday, France goes to the polls as the French vote for their next president. The two names on the ballot paper will be a repeat of the choice they had to make in 2017.
2: To France
3: now, and this year's race for the Elysee
2: looks like deja vu. French President Emmanuel Macron will face far-right candidate Marine Le Pen in the presidential election after making it through the first round. With the war in Ukraine
1: still raging, and the cost of living shooting up. What will swing the vote as the French choose between Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen?
2: You're not talking about other leaders, but just about your banker when you mentioned Russia. So, obviously, when uh, there are brave decisions to make, neither you nor your representatives are uh, in attendance. You know
1: fully well that I am a completely free woman. I am a patriot. I have been a patriot my whole life, and I defend France and the French people, no matter the circumstances. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manvin Rana. Today, Macron versus Le Pen, the fight to be the next French president. Across the channel, voters are preparing to pick a president. A decision that could change not only the future of France, but also the future of Europe. The two candidates battling for the top job are the current president, the centrist Emmanuel Macron, and his far-right challenger, the head of the National Rally Party, formerly known as the National Front, Marine Le Pen. She's famed for her anti-immigration anti-EU agenda, although she's worked hard in this election to soften her image.
3: Even five years ago, if you went out and interviewed people, a lot of people who said they wanted to vote for Marine Le Pen, they wouldn't give you their names. I mean, they would give you their first names or their ages, but they'd always be slightly worried about giving you their full names. Now it's no problem.
2: Marine, ah. Vous allez gagner Marine. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I was out in the car park the other week and there was a guy shouting across the car park at me and we we're going to vote Marine. They always called her Marine, Marine, not Le Pen, uh, Marine. Our
1: guide today to Gaelic voting intentions is my colleague.
3: Adam Sage, I'm the Times Paris correspondent. I'm talking to you from Paris. I've been here for more than 20 years. I've covered how many presidential elections have I covered? More than I dare to recall, really. But this has got to be my fifth or sixth presidential election. I
1: think that makes you a veteran.
3: Something like that, yes. That's, That's a polite way of putting it, isn't it?
1: Adam, as France prepares to go to the polls this weekend, the voters had one last big opportunity to, to hear the candidates come up against each other. On Wednesday night, there was the big televised debate between the two final candidates. Tell us how it went. Describe the scene for us.
3: Well I guess that going into the debate last night both of them had their own little challenges to meet. Marine Le Pen her challenge was to uh avoid seeming completely out of her depth which she had last time. Emmanuel Macron his challenge was to avoid seeming too arrogant which he does from time to time. They sat facing each other across little desks. Marine Le Pen actually jumped the gun and started talking too early before the cameras had started rolling so she had to restart. But on the whole she more or less managed to avoid sinking completely. I wouldn't say that she was brilliant, but she was better than last time. Emmanuel Macron was clearly telling himself throughout the debate, I mustn't appear arrogant, I mustn't appear arrogant. But he did, really. As the debate went on, the expression on his face just seemed to say, why am I debating with this inferior being? Give me someone of my level, really.
1: <laughs> and how does that play out with the
3: the French voters? Difficult to know, really. I mean, on the whole, I saw someone on Twitter saying that it was a choice between vanity and incompetence. And my guess is that most French voters will probably plump for vanity, really. What were
1: the big issues that were being discussed? What were the the big clashes about?
3: Well, there were a series of clashes. They started on the cost of living.
1: My proposition is to sustainably reduce those taxes, not via checks, vouchers or rationing, reduce VAT on all energy prices.
3: When Marine Le Pen was rolling out her plan to cut VAT on fuel and on foodstuffs and Emmanuel Macron laid into her and saying that would have no
2: no impact at all. Your measure would be beneficial to a supermarket chains, not to the consumers. Plus, it's unfair. Why? Because you and I, we don't need to pay not percent VAT on this. We want the people who are really in a tight spot, who really can't pay for their weekly shop, can get some money. He then
3: really went on the attack, and I think that was perhaps a surprise for Marine Le Pen and a surprise for um, people watching the debate. He attacked her over her positions on Russia.
2: You are in fact in Russia's grip. In 2015, you, Madame, uh, had took out a loan with the first Czech-Russian uh, bank, which is close to the authorities.
3: She's a long-standing supporter of, of President Putin. He really went for her over that, notably over the fact that to fund her Political movement, she took out a loan with a Russian bank that's linked to the Kremlin. He said that effectively, when she talked to Russia, she was talking to her banker. He went I mean, for well. her as well over her immigration policies and also over her policies on Islam.
0: I believe in banning
2: hijab in public areas.
3: I cannot state this any clearer.
2: I do believe that headscarves, hijab, is a uniform that is imposed on
1: women by Islamists.
2: Even if you are elected, which I, I don't wish to see, you will still have to abide by the constitution. And according to the constitution, we have to abide by secular society. If you apply this ban in the suburbs, then you are just going to create civil war.
3: We really saw a very, very offensive President Macron last night. No doubt concluding, I mean, I think it was a kind of Napoleonic strategy, attack is the best means of defence. And I think Macron did exactly that last night. He chose where he wanted the battlegrounds to be, and he went on the attack. And by doing so, he more or less covered up holes, really, which were the first hole is that he hasn't actually got very many proposals to make for a second term in office. And the second is that for a lot of people, his first term in office hasn't been that great.
1: And the Russia point is really interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think a lot of people will have forgotten. But, you know, at a time where you've got the war in Ukraine raging and the president of France, whoever it is, will have to deal with President Putin from time to time. I think people have probably forgotten that she effectively still owes the Kremlin money.
3: Well, she owes a bank linked to the Kremlin money. That's absolutely Right. She's banned from entering Ukrainian territory as well. She has been since 2017 oh. for having approved of the annexing of, of the Crimea, Russia's annexing of the Crimea in 2014. She had to bin her original campaign brochures going into this campaign because they showed a photograph of her with President Putin. So, I mean, she's got history on this and she's got a, a track record on this. Exactly. How much that is going to be of concern to voters, I don't know. I mean, I I haven't felt at any time during this campaign that the the war in Ukraine has been a major issue to voters. Um, Yes, Macron pinned her back over that. Yes, he embarrassed her over that. I'm not sure whether a lot of voters are really going to be concerned about that.
1: And do we have a sense of how, you know, have, have any polls been published yet showing how voters thought they performed
3: There was a snap poll that showed that after the debate that most voters thought Macron had won. Most TV pundits who I was listening to last night probably thought the same thing. I'm not sure how much of a change in voting attention the debate is going to make. I mean, I think the people who dislike Macron would have disliked him last night because however hard he tried, he still did look condescending and like a professor lecturing to a a pupil from time to time, and I think that would have irritated them. And I think people who thought that Marine Le Pen is either uh, dangerous or simply not up to being a president of France would have been comforted in that view as well. People who were wavering voters, I'd imagine they're still wavering and hesitating.
1: Remind us of how we got here. The political system in France is very different to uh, the one in Britain for a start. But just tell us a bit about how it works and how we've ended up with a runoff between Macron and Le Pen.
3: France is a very, very bureaucratic country and it has an electoral system befitting of a very bureaucratic country very very complicated with two rounds there were 12 candidates in the first round if any of the candidates get more than 50 percent of the vote they win straight away but in practice that never happens so the top two candidates then go into a runoff in the second round two weeks later and this time round, the top two candidates as indeed was the case in 2017 are Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen who will therefore face themselves in the runoff on Sunday.
1: And Adam, certainly from here, you know, watching the coverage from afar, just a couple of weeks ago, really, it felt like people were saying this election was done and dusted. It was Macron's to lose, really. How has it ended up being such a tight contest?
3: Certainly Macron has been the front runner for weeks and weeks and weeks. The war in Ukraine gave him a bounce in the polls. There was a sort of effect, I think, of rallying around the head of state. So there is that kind of instinctive support of him. And so his poll ratings went up very, very high after the war in Ukraine. A lot of people thought they would stay at that level. They didn't. They fell back down again to roughly what they were before the war in Ukraine. And I think plus the fact that towards the end of the race, a lot of people who don't like Macron came to see Marine Le Pen as as the only person who could beat him. And therefore they were hesitating before they didn't know what to do. And so they switched their support to Marine Le Pen at the the last moment. So Macron came down, Marine Le Pen came up and that's how it ended up into a close race, really.
1: And as you said, this is exactly what happened in 2017 in terms of the people going into the final round. How similar is it this time round?
3: Well, it's the same people, more or less the same policies, not exactly. So there are obvious similarities. And there are also differences. In 2017, Emmanuel Macron was a new man. He'd come from nowhere three years before he became president. Almost nobody had heard of him in France. I mean, if you walked around the streets around me and said Emmanuel Macron in 2014, that you would have just got a a Gallic shrug, really.
1: It's easy to forget, but Macron's La Republique en Marche party was only founded in 2016 and rapidly rose to victory as a party at the centre that sought to remake French politics, borrowing ideas from both the left and the right.
3: He came up, he said, look, the old system is discredited, it's dead, I'm the man who's going to uh, renew politics and I mean, I'm going to bring you a new world, that was his expression. There was a lot of curiosity around about him, a lot of hopes invested in him. And when we got through to the second round of the election five years ago... Really, you had Marine Le Pen and her supporters backed into one corner and the whole of the rest of France supporting Emmanuel Macron as this new president who was going to lead them into the new world, which ended up as an absolutely massive victory for him. That's not the case now. He's not a new man anymore. He said he was going to brush aside the establishment and bring France into a new era. Five years later, he is the establishment. The French, of course, they never like their heads of state. They always complain about them, but they probably complain about him a bit more because there are the disappointed hopes that he's turned into a fairly orthodox, I mean, in my opinion, pretty competent, but a fairly orthodox French president. So, that feeling that you got five years ago that everyone was going to support him, bar Marine Le Pen supporters themselves, no longer exists. People are hesitating, a lot of people might not go to vote.
1: How would you judge how he's done up until now?
3: Not bad. He hasn't been the new. French president that people expected. He's been pretty orthodox. He's pro-European, moderately pro-business, but when push comes to shove in favor of a kind of Louis XIV, sunking type, very centralized, very powerful state, but more efficient than most presidents, more competent. I mean, he's brought in labor reforms and he has significantly increased the number of people in apprenticeships, which was a big issue in France. And those have had an impact. France had a huge unemployment problem for years and years and years. And the unemployment rate has gone down to just over 7%. So that is certainly an achievement. His handling of the health crisis, it may be controversial, but he didn't waver. He had a policy that he pretty much followed from the beginning to the end of the health crisis.
1: At the last election back in 2017, you know, obviously Macron was the shiny new candidate who you know, brought great hope to, to voters. This time, he's obviously the incumbent who's presided over a series of crises. Marine Le Pen, in the meantime, appears to have spent the last five years really working on her image.
3: Marine Le Pen started many, many years ago to get away from the very, very toxic environment that was the, her National Front Party. She's changed the name since then to the National Rally. And when she took over the party a decade ago, she's, she moved it away, at least in style and probably in substance as well, from that very, very extremist area. She's continued since then, softening her language, her policies to an extent as well. And so she really is more acceptable now to a lot of voters than she was five years ago and much more acceptable than her father was ten years mm. ago. Well
1: Madam, that's really interesting because here in Britain, immigration is often seen as sort of a red meat issue when it comes to an election. You know, it is something that people will use as part of their pledges, as part of the sort of propaganda leading into an election. Marine Le Pen, who you would have thought would have relied a lot on anti immigration talk, doesn't seem to have mentioned it much so far.
3: I think there are two reasons for that, really. One is she quite rightly assessed that everyone knows her policy on immigration, everyone knows that her policy is to reduce legal and illegal immigration. She was also, I think, benefited from the fact that there was another candidate who's now been eliminated called Eric Zamore. He was more extreme than Marine Le Pen, noticeably more extreme. And it sort of made her automatically look more moderate and more acceptable and meant that she didn't really have to go on about immigration because A, everyone knows what her policy is on immigration. And B, he was doing it anyway. At one point, she was concerned that Zamor was going to sort of split her, take her voters. In the end, he, he was a good thing for her because he made her look quite acceptable. And I mean, personally, after listening to Zamor and then listening to Marine Le Pen, you think, oh, she's quite nice, actually. You know?
1: <laughs> That's amazing. That so rarely happens. Rather than splitting the vote, she's drawn more people to her. She's become the, the acceptable face of that part of the spectrum.
3: Yes. Yes, I think for a lot of people she has, really. and She's played it quite cleverly as well.
2: With the prices of gas, electricity and fuel, nobody dares to be ironic anymore. As president, I will
1: decrease the VAT on all energy products from 20 to 5.5 percent.
3: Very early on, she identified the cost of living as the key issue. I mean, way back in September, really, when electricity and, and Gas prices were starting to go up and they've gone up much more since then, obviously. But I mean, she identified that very, very early on. She's hit hard on it. That proved to be the right thing to do, electorally speaking.
1: And for Macron, is there also just something about the French system which never really seems to reward an incumbent?
3: It's very, very difficult to get re-elected in France. The, on the one hand, they put their leaders on pedestals and make them all-powerful figures like the Sun mm-hmm. King in the 17th century <laughs> and expect them to run the whole country themselves. And on the other hand, when they fail to run the country perfectly, they immediately become very frustrated with them and want to cut off their heads.
1: It's a revolutionary spirit.
3: Well, it's a kind of paradoxical French spirit. But on the one hand, you throw yourself at the feet of the great man who's going to save the nation. And on the other hand, when the great man who's going to save the nation just turns out to be an ordinary mortal, you'd cut off his head. I mean, I say his because in France it's never a woman. Never had a woman as a head of state. Good point. They began electing presidents in 1965, and since then only two have been re-elected. And both had lost midterm elections before. And in France, when a president loses midterm elections, they have very, very little power, which meant that in both occasions, they were effectively able to come into the following presidential election saying, it's not my fault because I'm not running the country anymore. Essentially, no president has won two major national elections on the trot ever.
1: But the odds clearly aren't in his favour on that score.
3: History's not in his favour, that's for sure. But on the whole, one would think that he's pretty well-placed now, really.
1: Coming up, what will swing the vote in this election? And if Marine Le Pen wins, what might that mean for the rest of Europe? That's after a quick message from a colleague...
2: I'm Matthew Campbell, Foreign Features Editor at The Sunday Times. I've always had a hunger for news, finding out things about parts of the world away from the beaten track. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
1: Adam, I know you've been travelling around the country quite a lot, trying to get a sense of what people are are thinking in the run-up to the election. Describe the scene, paint a picture for us of of what you found
3: there. I could say France is divided. That's a fairly meaningless comment because France has been divided since about the 6th century, really. It's always divided. What strikes me this time is that the the division seems to me to be very wide There seems to be very, very few bridges across that division and very little comprehension across that division. And If I travel around Paris or Lyon or Bordeaux or any other cities and talk to people, I mean, people who work for big companies who hold their meetings in English or that kind of international English that everyone speaks now people who are going to watch Netflix, go on holiday outside France, you're going to hear a lot of good things about President Macron. He's been a good president, he's done the job well, he handled the health crisis well, he handles himself well on the international stage, he looks the part. And then if you travel away out into the provinces, I mean, I was out in Dreux, which is a mid-sized provincial town the other day, meeting a a care home assistant and pensioners you'll hear really a a very very high level of hatred for president macron i mean i think hatred is the word he's arrogant uh, he doesn't understand the people he's the president of the rich he's only interested in supporting the small little clique of people who are around him, handling of the health crisis was an affront to democracy and to liberty. Uh, He's violent, he's anti-democratic. It's really very, very striking just what a gulf there is. Um, Essentially, there's been a left-right divide in France. I suppose you could say, going back to the revolution, I mean, it goes back to pro-aristocracy or anti-aristocracy, really, in 1789. And that has gone on through the centuries and through the decades. That's no longer the case, really. The division now is mainstream. And by mainstream, someone who feels at ease with globalization against what we call the populist camp. And the populist camp is essentially some people who don't like globalisation. And when we're talking about globalisation, we're talking about immigration, we're talking about having American films on television, we're talking about the EU, we're talking about NATO, we're talking about all those kind of different strands of of globalisation. And that is really, I would say, the dividing line in France now, probably.
1: And in terms of NATO and the global outlook. How much will Russia and the war in Ukraine play out in this election? I mean, how will Emmanuel Macron be judged for his dealings with President Putin?
3: I mean, it's a massive failure. He came to power saying that he was going to re-establish a dialogue with Russia. Mm. He invited President Putin to a very, very lavish summit at the Palace of Versailles. He laid out everything on it.
1: Despite the sweltering weather, this meeting held a touch of frost from the start. At the entrance to France's Versailles Palace, the two leaders greeted each other with brief handshakes and small, grim smiles.
3: He then invited President Putin to his holiday house on the French Riviera. He's constantly tried to dialogue with President Putin leading up to the war. He went to see President Putin during the war. He's phoned him 17 times. I think it's safe to conclude that that policy hasn't worked.
1: No. Do the voters, I mean, are they turning against him for issues like that?
3: No, they're not. Ukraine has been absent from the election campaign. Seen from Britain, Emmanuel Macron is, I wouldn't say he's pro-Russian, but seen from Britain, I mean, he's not quite as clearly anti-Russian as perhaps uh, Boris Johnson or Joe Biden. But of course, All his main opponents, and notably Marine Le Pen, are much more pro-Russian than him. So none of them have really wanted to put Ukraine onto the election agenda. Marine Le Pen has been very clean to keep it off. And it hasn't been an election issue. I mean, it's been an election issue only insofar as it affects the cost of living, really.
1: I suppose the great uncertainty ahead of Sunday, which is the second round of this presidential election, is which way the people who voted for the failed candidates in the first round will now vote. And I suppose whilst people who voted for Eric Zemmour on the far right are probably likely to vote for Marine Le Pen now, and we do know that the the leaders of the Socialist, the Green and the Conservative parties have all backed Macron, it's really the 7 million voters who supported the candidate who came third Jean-Luc Mélenchon, from the far left, they could end up deciding who wins this election. Do we know which way they'll go? Because during his concession speech, Mélenchon urged his supporters not to vote for Le Pen.
3: So let me say it once again. Madame Madame Le Pen should not get a single vote. Madame Le Pen should not get a single vote. Madame Le Pen should not get a single vote.
1: But he stopped short of calling for them to support Macron. So do we know which way they might
3: go? I was in Marseille last week chatting to people on the terrace of a shopping centre overlooking the Mediterranean. It was very, very nice. The sun was shining. We were watching the ferries going out to Corsica. And I was very struck at just how destructured if that's a word, French politics has become, in times past, as it is in Britain, people were on the left or on the right, and they were often on the left or on the right because their parents and their grandparents and their and their great-grandparents had been on the left or on the right. and That seems to have been blown out of the water by Macron's arrival in France and, and the disappearance of the traditional party of government. I was talking to a man, he was a Jewish man, who'd voted for Erickson Moore. In the first round, now, if you vote for Eric more in the first round, as you say, you naturally expect him to vote for Marine Le Pen in the second, but he won't because yeah, Marine me. Le Pen wants to ban the stunning of animals before they are slaughtered, which effectively, in his eyes and a lot of people's eyes, the ban kosher food. So having voted for Eric more wow. in the first round, he's not going to vote for Marine Le Pen in the second. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He might abstain. I then walked on to another guy who'd who'd voted for the Green Party candidate in the first round, who got 5% of the vote and was eliminated. Now, if you vote for the Green Party candidate, you would naturally expect him to go on to vote for Emmanuel Macron in the second round. But he said he might vote for Marine Le Pen for reasons that have completely escaped me. But, I mean, he said he might. There are, you know, 7 million people who voted for Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who's the kind of French Jeremy Corbyn, who likewise you might expect to vote for... For Emmanuel Macron. I was chatting to another man of Algerian origin who'd voted for Jean-Luc Menonchon, who I was expecting to say I, you know, that he was going to vote for Macron in the second round, but he's not. I mean, he's going to abstain. He can't vote for Marine Le Pen because she wants to ban Muslim headscarves in public and his wife wears a veil, a headscarf, so he he couldn't vote for her. But he's not going to vote for Emmanuel Macron either because he sees Emmanuel Macron as the the president of the elite in Paris. So there doesn't seem to me to be any logic anymore. Voters are lost. People are all over the place. They really are. They're all over the place.
1: So what are the issues, do you think, that will decide which way the vote goes?
3: I mean, if you look at the, the polls and if you talk to people as well, the cost of living is the number one issue, the price of petrol, the price of food, the price of bread. I mean, the price of bread has gone up, the price of pasta has gone up. That is the big issue. I don't know how much that will swing it, because essentially people, I think, have probably already made up their minds on the cost of living. Do they trust Emmanuel Macron is the most competent leader to to handle the inflation that's going to come, or do they go with Marine Le Pen, who says that she's going to bring in a whole load of policies that will ease the pain of those suffering from inflation. There are a lot of wavering voters who might just decide at the end of the day on something slightly more vague, an image, an impression, Emmanuel Macron looking the part of president, perhaps, or sounding like a president. On the other hand, that, you know, uh, Marine Le Pen has made great efforts to show that she is capable of doing the job as well. I think five years ago, there was a lot of doubt about it. And maybe at the end of the day, a lot of people would just want to give the, the sitting president a kick up the backside and vote for Marine Le Pen. Those wavering voters, it will be kind of much more difficult to really identify any one particular issue that is going to sway them one way or the other.
0: If
1: Marine Le Pen wins, what would that mean for France?
3: If she was to win, it would be a huge upset, an absolutely major upset if she went through with her policies. It would certainly create a, a constitutional crisis if she went through with her plan to hold a referendum on immigration, on the primacy of French law as opposed to European law. A constitutional crisis because... There are a lot of constitutional lawyers who say that she needs the approval of Parliament to hold such a referendum on immigration, notably, and she's not planning to seek parliamentary approval. She's just planning to put it to the people. And that could could create a a very, very severe constitutional crisis. I mean, some constitutional lawyers say that that would be tantamount to a coup d'etat.
1: How would that change the EU, which she's been very critical of in the past?
3: She said that she will hold a referendum and the referendum will be on a whole series of issues, including establishing the primacy of French law over EU law. Now, this is effectively opting out of the EU, but staying in it. There's no way that Brussels could accept that. And I don't know how that would end up. The referendum would, for instance, as well, give France the right to shut its borders. At the moment, it's part of the Schengen area of free movement between countries. She said that she's going to unilaterally reduce the French contribution to the EU's budget. President Macron says that effectively she would leave the EU. I don't know whether that would happen. What she says she wants is to turn the EU into an association of, of nation states. And she'd no doubt get some backing from Hungary and Poland on that issue, but very, very little backing and a lot of opposition elsewhere. So if she came to power, there would be a, a huge confrontation at the heart of the EU. Yeah.
1: And if she wins, presumably that means France's relations with lots of other countries change fundamentally.
3: Absolutely. I mean, obviously, the most EU countries would be opposed to her. Germany, I mean, the Franco-German relationship, I mean, I, I don't know, it would be pretty much reduced to rubble, I would have thought. Similarly with Italy, with Spain, with Belgium, with the Netherlands, et cetera. She has also, like a lot of the French populists, she's anti-NATO or sceptic of NATO and wants to re- leave NATO's integrated command structure. De Gaulle left it in the 1960s, and, and they only came back into it about 10 years ago. So it's not wholly unprecedented, but at this particular moment in time, of course, with the war in Ukraine, it would cause a significant division in the West. She says she wants equidistance, the same distance between Washington and Moscow. So the relations with Britain and America, to that extent, will be vastly changed, yeah.
2: Let's not make a mistake. This is not over. The debate we're going to have over the next 15 days is decisive for our country and for Europe.
1: What will happen on the 24th of April is not just a vote about conditions, it's a matter of society, even of civilization. This is clearly an incredibly important election for all of us. It will end up affecting us all. Who would your money be
0: on?
3: Um, my money will be on Macron still. I think he'll win. You can come back to me next week if you don't <laughs> point it out to me. French elections are unpredictable and I haven't got a very good record, but I think on the whole, <laughs> probably a majority of the population of the voters will go for him. I think that... The National Front has been making progress at every election since it started in the 1970s with one or two blips along the way. I mean, it started getting, you know, only a few tens of thousands of votes, less than 1%. And it's, broadly speaking, gone up every single time since then. But I don't think it's yet quite gone up to getting 50% of the vote or more. I think you might have to wait five or 10 years to see a populist leader in France. But if the trends continue and if it continues as it is, they will end up by getting into power.
1: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Times Paris correspondent Adam Sage. You can read more of Adam's coverage of the French elections at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer today was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review. I promise we read all of them. Thanks so much for listening. Have a lovely weekend.